0: Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write about all things fitness-related, particularly cycling. I have a lot of books on the topic. I do a lot of biking, although this winter it's probably been a little more running than riding lately. Uh, Yeah, so that's that's me.
1: And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm Molly's co-host. I'm a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach mostly working with cyclists but work with a bit of everyone triathletes runners and all sorts of people who move so that's where we've come to this consummate athlete podcast where we talk about different ways to move different ways to be active and, and sort of how these things relate to each other so if you're a sports specialist we learn from someone playing golf and different approaches to our mental game and we can take that back to whatever sport you do
0: yeah we've had a lot of uh, pretty exciting episodes in the past few weeks I've been really stoked on we had one on running track we had one on running but it could uh could kind of apply to any sport about how to run for the rest of your life that was pretty interesting. yeah
1: longevity yeah that was a really interesting uh episode and you know we're in as I say I coach mostly cyclists so usually once it gets to the off season they all decide they're they're runners um, of some type and then we end up with lots of different injuries. So. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if it's funny but it's
0: it's a little funny. you sort of
1: have to laugh sometimes because I'm as bad as anyone at it but yeah we have this very strong fitness but no you know ligaments or of soft tissue adaptations the ankles are usually quite stiff and yeah we go out there and figure you know 90 minutes is a short run and short ride, it's so it should be a short ride, yeah. short run, so yeah, you end up with different injuries. So that, that podcast was very good, I think people found it helpful, and the uh, book is also very good.
0: Yeah, I'd actually just written an article on how to keep a run streak going, and a lot of what John Beverly talked about in that podcast sort of came up in that context of that article.
1: Yeah, the frequency was a big part of it, right? Like just running most days. Yeah, um, consistency. You know,
0: uh, but I think the big thing, too, is, like, just not being an idiot about it. <laughs> like, a run streak is never worth it if it's going to leave you injured for the next six months.
1: Yeah, and that really was the, you know, the, the thing that gets missed is that, you know, frequent, but, it you know, that could be even partially walk some days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we were doing the Ironman and, and really with my clients, I try and get everyone built up to 5K to 5 miles, so 5 kilometers to 5 miles. That's sort of like the sweet spot. And that's, you know, you can toss that off almost without sweating, you know, you're, you're just, you can do that and not be super sore the next day. Right. And that was sort of my goal. And we built that up more to like a 10 K 10 miles towards the end of that, that Ironman, but that, that took, you know, eight plus months probably where that was just casual. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, those, those ligaments, those tendons, they take a long time to adapt.
0: And they go away very quickly. We both had pretty bad colds going on. And well, I some don't other, know if
1: colds are related to ligaments. Some but...
0: other injuries and stuff. No, what I'm saying is we kind of had stopped doing a lot of running like earlier in January because we were both a little sick, a little bit kind of low. Um, and I just, I'd say this week, finally feel like I'm back to my old running form. And it took a long time to build back up to it. So even when you are a you know, fairly seasoned runner, uh, this stuff goes away pretty quick. So if you take a bunch yeah. of time off. It's
1: usually, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, depending on how long you've been off. But yeah, it takes a while to build up that, again, just that frequency, right? And you have to be careful because if you've been off for, you know, weeks, then, you know, the, the average, you know, what, a lot of times they talk about in injury studies and stuff like that is how quickly you ramp up stuff, right? So you have sort of your monthly average of hours or mileage or whatever you want to do. And then if all of a sudden you do a week, so this acute loading, if it's it's very high relative to that, they usually say like 50% higher, I, I believe, is sort of where you get very risky. Um, so if you went from like 10 hours a week to 15 hours a week would be easy math. Um, then you're starting to get a little risky, right? Where Versus sort of like the classic 10% progression.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, so... First, before we dive into our Q&A's for this episode, we kind of wanted to just talk about the fact that we're finally home. Uh, I keep saying today kind of feels like a bit of a holiday for me because it sort of marks uh, actually being up here at our place in Ontario and, you know, actually being in one place for a while. And I mean, granted, you know, I start yoga teacher training soon down in Toronto, so we'll be... You know, still pretty mobile, but it's pretty exciting to actually realize that, okay, we're finally in one place and I can actually focus a little bit more. So that's a pretty good freeing experience. And it's a little sad to not be in California. I got there to where we've stayed in California in the past uh, for the winter. I got there last week just for three days and it was a little nostalgic and a little sad and, you know, a little hard to leave the warm sunshine, but pretty excited to be back up in the cold. So first, we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the fact that we're up here. So, you know, we're not doing the pro athlete thing of going somewhere warm in the winter. Um, Peter, do you want to kind of speak to that? We've done it once in the past four years. Where we've stayed up here. How did that go for you? Um,
1: it was, a, I mean, a fine year. I mean, I think I, the caveat is always, you know, my N equals one involves a lot of big years of training and, you know, being towards the end of my career, there's a lot of things that I've learned and, you know, I have a lot of the abilities and things to do at least for mountain biking. Um, So me taking, you know, we could call it a down year or a lower volume year. You know, the caveat is that that often means that you're almost peaking because you've taken the volume down a bit and maybe you're doing more intensity on the trainer or, you know, even just, you're getting a different stimulus Um, in terms of, you know, now you're riding the trainer. So that's a little different loading on the cycling muscles than riding outside. You're probably again, doing more intensity. You're probably doing more skiing and doing more running, more strength training. So a lot of times you almost get a boost just from that difference, um, at least in the short term, right? So a good way to think about anything that's different than your past is that now you have a chance to do all sorts of different things. Um, I coach one, I think he listens often too, but, uh, you know, he's gone traditionally done and done some pretty big miles. But now he's home, you know, and we're doing trainer riding almost, you know, for the first time, doing things like one leg for the first time, doing some running and stuff for the first time. So it's all this new stimulus. And, you know, a lot of times you get a boost out of that, again, assuming you don't get injured running. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we'll be up here for the winter, so there's going to be a lot more, I think, winter sport talk in the intros as I continue to get... I mean,
1: we've been talking running and stuff a bunch more.
0: Well, as I continue to work on my cross-country skiing, it's currently snowing here in Collingwood, so... You know, might get out today, depending on how the trails are. I'm pretty excited to be I, back in the snow.
1: Maybe. We don't have a lot of snow right now, but... It's it's,
0: it's coming. There's like three days of snow yeah, coming. Out.
1: I mean, we're probably close now. Like, at least the nice thing about the thaw is you get that sort of base of hard... At the moment, it's quite icy, but... Uh... I think with the bit of snow today, maybe we'll get out.
0: My dad's pretty excited about the possibility of coming up here and skiing. He was talking a bunch about the ice and then getting like the slight snow covering. Apparently he used to go to the reservoir near us when it iced over in the winter. Whenever it like flurried, he'd go over and cross-country ski across the top of it.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't like going on water.
0: Yeah. He also used to swim in it, sneak in to swim in the summer, and his his mom would go with him. My my grandmother, and she used to smoke him in the swim. So that's probably where I get my swim prowess from. Right. So
1: So what else? What else do we got today?
0: All right. Well, uh, just a quick reminder to everybody that the Athletic Bookworms, my book club over at theoutdooredit.com, is kicking off. We just finished up reading... Not kicking off. This is
1: a new thing. You're uh, kicking off a new
0: new book for the month. Um, We just finished up reading Roar by Stacey Sims and Celine Yeager, two of my favorite ladies. Uh, They're awesome. It's a book all about women's sport, uh, women's endurance training. Just kind of so much information in one book I can't recommend it enough whether you're a really seasoned athlete or whether you're a new athlete Uh, pretty much any woman can really get a lot of value out of reading this and I think a lot of male coaches probably should read this so I think it's a great one and actually I got Stacy on the phone to give me a couple of her best tips from the book like the one piece of advice that she would give to women if they were to you know want to know like what the key takeaway from roar was so we're actually going to pause us chatting and quick listen to what stacy had to say so enjoy this quick tidbit from dr stacy sims
2: the first one is that women should know their menstrual cycle and how they feel because that's the biggest thing like when i start working with someone and I ask them, well, how's your cycle? How does it affect you? Oh, I don't know. What day are you on? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know, the first thing is if you, it it doesn't mean like use an app and track every day, but just kind of have a general idea. Oh, my period was two or three weeks ago, so it's going to come up soon. Then you can kind of start understanding your mood and fitness around it. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is don't follow like the typical training program, really work with your own physiology. Like once people start doing that, they track their periods and they understand how they are and their moods and their and their training. And then, then they start training in accordance to how their cycle is, is telling them. They get so much out of it. They get bigger gains. They don't feel as tired. They are starting to achieve their potential. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of, like I say, working with your physiology instead of against it.
0: All right. So there was Stacy. I really liked what she said about, you know, tracking your cycle and stuff. It's something that I've never really thought about as an athlete, to be honest. Um, but I mean, I know even in your coaching, Peter, like that kind of stuff does come up and it is really important. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, your book Saddlesore, not to plug that, but if anyone is looking for, you know, especially coaches, I think, you know, the the best thing about your book was that it opened up some of these conversations about, you know, periods, about, you um, saddle sores you know it's mm-hmm. it seems like oh that's a little awkward and maybe you're cringing but when you think about it like a saddle sore can be hugely disruptive right and athletes and i'm as guilty as anyone but athletes will continue and continue and continue until it's horrible you know and then now you have secondary things like you're getting like a it 10 to 90s because you've been shifting over to one side of the saddle um and then also you risk very prolonged time off the bike right so
0: i know a lot of people that have needed to get surgery
1: right so These are important issues. And then similarly, you know, periods, it's not an issue for everyone, but there's a lot of people, you know, there's, we're cramping, you know, you're not feeling good. You have a headache, like who, you know, when else would you go and train and try and do intervals or race or whatever? Um, So tracking this stuff makes perfect sense when it's, you know, if it's even at all predictable, you know, that might dictate, you know, when you're going to race, you know, there's all different you know, when we're planning intensity blocks, when you go south for training, you know, there's all sorts of these choices that if you could predict stuff like that at all,
0: yeah. it's very much
1: worth it. And as a coach, you know, if you can open those lines of communication, it's hugely valuable.
0: Yeah. And the other thing Stacy and I talked about sort of after we talked about that, I asked her, you know, a lot of people, a lot of women don't have necessarily, you know, your typical period. I mean, a lot of women have an IUD, a lot of women, you know, are using birth control, so they don't really have, like, the actual period. Um, And, I mean, honestly, like, there is the issue that a lot of female athletes just simply don't get it every month. So I asked her what to do in that case, and she said, you know, rather than just being aware of, like, when you're actually getting your period, um, tracking how you feel from day to day. So just, you know, on a calendar, whether it's online or, you know, using an app like Clue or you're just keeping a notebook – uh, just jotting down how you felt in a day, like were you bloated? Did you cramp? You know, did you feel just kind of crappy? Uh, and if you do that for a few months, you actually will start uh, Seeing those patterns start to emerge a little bit And you can kind of get a sense of where you are in your cycle based on that even if you're not actually getting your period so Enough about periods. Um, our February book for the Athletic Bookworms is not women specific. It's actually we're going to read Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. So he's the man who wrote is it the Paleo Solution? Yep. The Paleo Solution. He's you know he's got a great podcast, very into the Paleo lifestyle. But what I really enjoy about him and his podcast and stuff is he's actually quite moderate on the Paleo thing.
1: But yeah, this book's definitely much more.
0: Like it's not like reading a typical paleo, you know, cookbook or like a, you know, one size fits all paleo diet. It's really just focused on eating whole foods and a much more like holistic approach to a healthy lifestyle overall. Um, I already started it and I am really enjoying it. He's a really good writer for one thing. So it's actually an easy book to get through. I know you read it right when it came out.
1: Yeah, I actually, I started, I got the audiobook, too, and I've followed Rob for quite a while. I was fortunate to meet him, actually, as well. I went up to one of the, like, conferences-type thing that he had one time uh, up in NorCal.
0: And I have finally replaced the hoodie that he got at that conference. Just
1: recently, it's now a Shred Girls, but I had a NorCal conditioning, which was the gym that he opened, so... Um, I don't know that I'm going to get rid of that hoodie, but Molly thinks so.
0: I might. <laughs> uh,
1: but I'll have to say it's a great book, talks a lot about just sort of healthy lifestyle. And the reason I've sort of clung now over 10 years to the sort of paleo framework or paleo template idea is that it just makes a lot of sense. It's just, you know, you're going to sleep when the sun goes down, you know, having a family that you're, you know, friends and stuff that you can talk to and, you know. And so getting away from that, like it has to be these like you never have dairy or, you know, these clinging points to it. But just thinking, you know, the, the whole foods cliche and, um, you know, finding foods. This book is very much about finding that sort of diet that works for you because we're not all the exact same. Right. Some of us don't tolerate dairy. Some of us need to sleep way more. You know, I Molly doesn't need quite as much sleep as I. And I'm a baby if I don't get like even nine hours of sleep. Yes. Um, and that's just, you know, it comes down to genetics and it comes down to lots of different things along these lines, right? You know, the different exposures we've had over our life. So this book really sort of, as Molly says, reads well and is pretty good. But I think there's a lot of different, you know, as we end our January resolution period, it gets sort of to the heart of the, you know, lifestyle, diet, socialization, exercise, sort of, I don't know, quad- <laughs> quadrennial, quad. <laughs> yeah, yeah stool a couple Uh, legs uh, of a stool
0: yeah (laughs) peter just fell off his chair um anyway yeah so we're reading that uh you can go check out the actor and the post about that's going to be up tomorrow since you know first of the month and everything uh but you can you know pre pre preload that book into your kindle and get ready to get reading on it uh so yeah stay tuned for that anyway let's get into some of our questions here so the first one i think it's super interesting since we're about to hit cyclocross world so we're still very much in cyclocross season we've got a little bit of time left
1: so that's saturday and sunday oh yeah what are the dates
0: saturday and sunday i think it's the fourth and fifth of february so this weekend if you can tune Third third and fourth If you can tune in, I highly recommend
1: watching Women, it. Women's race Women's race is going
0: to be so good. I'm still
1: holding out for uh, some sort of craziness in the men's race, but so far... Um,
0: Matthew Vanderpoel is gonna going you heard to win. here first. very dominant,
1: but <laughs> Wout might be holding on. Maybe he's been peaking just for that one...
0: I don't, but, I don't know. Yeah, that'll
1: be good. It's on UCI YouTube channel. Is that something you would Google? Or what do you...
0: Yeah, you could look Assuming up,
1: you're not in the U.S.?
0: If you're not in the U.S., UCI YouTube channel. If
1: you're in the U.S., you need to use some sort of blocking system or... If you're
0: in the U.S., use the v, uh, Hola VPN blocker and uh, mask it to look like you're in Europe watching it. Or you can just check out, I think, cyclingfans.tv has usually some good bootleg links. But yeah, I don't really know where else it's going to be streamed, unfortunately. So it's it's a little bit of a... A hassle to watch it in the U.S., but it's well worth it.
1: Yeah, really good coverage, too. Like, it's... Yeah. Even if you're just... It'll be on earlier in the day in North America.
0: Yeah. 9 a.m. for the men's... For the men's race.
1: Women's will be more like 7...
0: Women's actually, I think, is the day before at, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday morning at nine a.m. Eastern. Oh,
1: okay. So that's like a good like Saturday morning breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, even just in the background, you can have some nice is it Belgian. is It'll be like Belgian people talking.
0: Uh, no. Usually they have English feed for that.
1: Oh, okay. Not even an accent?
0: Not even an accent. Well, a French accent. Sometimes. Well,
1: you could have, maybe eat some waffles. Yeah, definitely
0: plan on waffles on Saturday uh, before you start reading Wired to Eat.
1: But yeah, I mean, from a consummate athlete standpoint, if you haven't seen cyclocross and, you know, again, if you're flexible on Saturday or Sunday or both, um, it's a very, very cool sport. There, It's only an hour, you know, between 40 and 60 minutes and very athletic on and off the bike, muddy, all sorts of crazy things happening. So it's not just, you know, cycling race, I guess.
0: It's also a good one to watch on the trainer, I think.
1: Yep. Yeah. Very good. Very exciting. A lot of my athletes will be doing that for sure. And they'll, you know, visualize their, their local cyclocross race and racing Vanderpool and
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so good luck to the people we know that are racing, by the way. Uh, anyway, the first question we had is uh, why should someone do endurance when the focus is on shorter races? Right. So, for so example. that could be anything.
1: That could be a 5K, uh, like mud run, you know, OCR type thing. Uh, it could be a cyclocross race. Like we say, 40 minutes is pretty standard for, you know, amateur age group type duration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, track racing on the cycling or track. For running, even right, so your sprinters and and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So the question is, you know, if you're, you know, again, let's go use the example of cyclocross. So you're doing sort of a forty minute hard, you know, just hard for the whole time, and sort of up and down, on and off. But you know, essentially, you're just going really hard for forty minutes. Why would you then go out and do a two or three or four or five hour ride? Good Um, question. And so the reality is, you can't. Like, if you just think about. Whatever you're doing is that very specific thing. Like, that, no one really trains like that. You know, that'll work initially, maybe... Um, but you don't- By
0: like that, you mean really hard?
1: Well, you couldn't, like, you don't train for the thing you're doing by doing exactly the thing you're doing every single day. Right. Right? Like, you can't do 40 minutes hard every single day. Like, you just can't. It'll be 40 minutes moderately hard and then not very hard eventually, right? So you need to have easy days. So we know that there's some sort of weekly periodization, weekly undulation of the volume and the intensity. That's just training, whether we're talking strength training, you know, you're going to have your hard day and then you're going to do maybe an easy mobility day or a walking day or, you know, light cardio. If you're like really focused on sort of Olympic lifting, that's, you know, in the CrossFit and Olympic lifting world, even you're seeing a bit of that acceptance now of just walking, like for them, they have to be careful. If you're trying to build body mass, you want to be careful with the amount of volume and uh, endurance you're doing, but Mm -hmm. you're seeing much more like they're realizing that aerobic ability Is part of your ability to recover, right? Um, So that would be the first reason is that even the very short, short duration, you need some ability to recover and do more, you know, just move through the day, move through, you know, lots of time in the gym. You know, if you're doing four hours of, you know, two hours, three hours of gym work at an elite Olympic lifting level, there's an endurance component to that. So that's going to be helpful in your recovery and also your ability just to take that, that workload, so the work capacity. Right. For the cycling example, to get back to that, or, or just your sort of 40 minute hard 10K run OCR thing, if you're doing some over distance or some volume on top of that, you're basically building that engine. So you're doing the work, you know, if you think about it as calories, you're maybe putting out the same calories, but it's taking you longer because you're going easier and steady. Um, and so you're able to sort of complete that same work at a lower intensity on the days that you're not doing intensity so again you're having that undulating intensity to allow recovery to come back in a day or two and do another hard workout Um, but you're doing that with that other system so that's sort of a practical way to think about it Um, and then on the more I guess physiological way to look about it is that there's different adaptations so endurance you know a lower intensity is going to have more, you know, things like mitochondrial density or, or aerobic benefit, your ability to use oxygen. We're going to sort of build that doing that lower intensity is the way we might think about that on a fairly simplistic level. Um, whereas if when we do intensity, typically that's you know producing the oxygen and, and having you know really high output. So you're breathing really really hard, you know, you're trying to pull in as much oxygen as you can when you're sprinting up that hill, right? Um, and, and so there's sort of those different adaptations and both are important and we have to work both sides of that equation. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I actually want to come back to something you said about that like moderate intensity that ends up kind of biting us. Uh, so what? Is, how do you know when you're in that, like I'm going to say danger zone of that like middle ground where you're not helping anything?
1: Yeah, and I'm hoping to get a couple people on. We've had a question or two about sort of that sweet spot versus um, polarized training. So if you go back to the Marco Altini podcast and also the steven Siler podcast we talk a lot about this polarized model of training um, and and i think the the place you're going is if you're not feeling very good so if your intent is to do a certain output so say you know the wattage you want to do uh for 40 minutes or you know the pace you want to hold running or the weight you want to lift in strength training um, and sometimes strength training is the best way to describe it so if i'm going to go into the gym and my intensity day is a hard set of five reps at, say, it's at 200 pounds. But then I can't do that. But that was what I did, you know, on Monday. And then I was going to do it on Tuesday as well. And then Wednesday as well. At some point, I won't be able to do that same weight. So the work is decreasing, but my intent was to go intensely. So I can't maintain that. Right. Um, So that would indicate that now it's starting to be moderate. But i'm working very hard how it feels but the output is not good right it's not high it's not right. it's not what it was supposed to be so in a weightlifting example that would be what we would be looking for again in running it would be similar you're going to, to run a 10k tt 5k tt and you're doing it slowly so if you just recovered for a day or two and then went back and did your hill intervals or your 5k tt then you'd hopefully be able to go faster faster and then you're building your work capacity. So that's the first sign that you're getting into that moderate is that like the intent of your workout, you're not hitting it. Um, by heart rate, you know, often it's in that sort of 75 to 80% of max or sort of a lot of people, it'll be like the 140 to 160 range is often, you know, in very absolute general terms. Again, if your heart rates are low or very high, then obviously that doesn't apply. But on average, like once you're sort of over 140 and, you know, 150s. You know, there's a lot of people that ride there all the time or work out there all the time. And that's your sort of chronic cardio um, intensity.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, good answer there. All right. Next question. Uh, We've definitely seen a lot of people in the past month or so have a lot of saddle sore issues, which is surprising because it's winter or it seems surprising because it's winter. So you'd think like, oh, people aren't getting out on the bike as much. Uh, But actually, from what I've seen, uh, saddle stares are almost more problematic in the winter. I see more people suffering from them in the winter. Um, And I just kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit with some tips about how to deal with them, but also, like, why it's happening. Uh, So the first reason is just because, you know, we're on the trainer. So we're in this very sweaty environment without, you know, some of us have fans, but even a fan is not the same as riding outside and actually having the wind hitting you. So everything's a little bit warmer and a little bit moister for the most part. Uh, so you've created that nice bacterial breeding ground. But the other thing is um, on the trainer, people tend to stand less. So you tend to be grinding in a little bit more. Correct me if I'm wrong there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I try not have people stand very much on the trainer uh, especially cause it doesn't move side to side. So especially cause it doesn't move side to side now, it's not even just like outside you shift a bit more on the saddle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot of pressure on one spot. Um,
0: so the first thing you can do is, you know, even if it's, even if you're not getting up to pedal, just get your butt off the saddle every few minutes, just a tiny, tiny bit. It doesn't need to be anything.
1: Yeah. That and that's when I say, I try not to have people stand. Like I just don't, I don't do or have people do like one minute standing hill intervals because the bike doesn't move side to side. So my belief is that it doesn't groove a good movement pattern and it's a movement pattern that most people really struggle with, like the ability to stand for a long time. So inside, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't stand up for like one or two pedal strokes every five minutes or whatever, right? Like naturally. Um, And usually when you're doing intervals and stuff, like you'll have that urge again, if you're going hard enough, you should have that urge to stand. Um, and, and so you stand to keep the pedals going over, you know, periodically. You
0: yeah. Know. Uh, the other thing I see inside on the trainer, and I'm definitely guilty of this, is it sounds weird when I say it, but people ride without their bib straps up. Yeah. So you ride with them around your waist, which actually, you know, isn't a problem for some people. But if you're really sensitive to saddle sores, not having your straps up, your chamois is going to be moving a little bit more. It might not be in the exact right yeah, it's place. It's not saggy, pulled up enough. Yeah, bunched. So, you know, just you might look really goofy, but pull those straps up. Um, that's another way to kind of mitigate that. And the other thing is I see people all all the time uh, getting off the trainer. And because you're in your house, it's really easy to just immediately go to like, you know, grab your food out of the fridge, check your email, finish watching whatever ep- episode of Netflix you're watching on the trainer.
1: Yeah, it's pretty easy. And I mean, I, I end up doing a lot of double days all the time I really like them but in the winter it's sort of conducive you know you're going to hit the gym later or maybe you're going to do another spin later or or whatever um so yeah it's quite easy not to observe that like get off your bike and shower
0: Mm -hmm. so even if you're not going to shower at least just do a quick rinse off of your uh Your nether regions, just even a wet washcloth. I think,
1: I mean, it's just not that hard and I hate showering, but it's really, you don't have to even wash your hair if you really don't want to. Like if you are going to do another workout later, if you're just staying in the house, but like just go in and soap up. I usually say, especially if you're someone who's prone or has saddle sores, soap up twice, even with two different soaps um, to try and beat it. Right. And and so I wonder if going through on the saddle sore topic, do you want to talk about, okay, so I'm down the road now and I have a saddle sore. Um, what is sort of the protocol then that someone might follow? Yeah.
0: Well, the first protocol, if you have one that's actually like painful is to take a damn day off the bike. And I think so many people are so anti doing that because it's hard, right? Like you're aware that you're feeling great. Like you might even be performing awesome right now, but like that saddle sore is just going to get worse if you don't give it a chance to air out and not continually get beat up. Uh, the other thing to do is just keep it as dry and clean as humanly possible. So, you know, we're back to the double soap. Uh, you can maybe even use a little bit, especially if it's open at all. You want to use a little bit of some kind of antiseptic like a polysporin or neosporin, uh, something like that. Um, and the other thing to do is just as dry as possible. So, this is the day to wear those loose pants. Uh, boys switch to boxers, girls, I'm a fan of the maxi skirt. just let everything air out as much as possible. And, you know, you can walk, you can run, you can do yoga, whatever, but just don't put pressure on it and stand no more. Like, if you sit in an office, this is maybe the day to take more walking breaks and... Well, and and I guess it it (laughs) gets to another
1: issue, you know, if we're talking about riding indoors or, or, you know, exercising even indoors, because we could be talking about saddle sores related to, I guess, anything or sores related to anything, right? Like just being inside, being on the treadmill, maybe you're getting blisters or something, right? It would be similar advice. You know, the reality is a lot of this stuff isn't the same as whatever you're trying to do outdoors, right? Like, Riding inside is not riding outdoors. It, it has elements that are similar, mm-hmm. but I've always made the argument you know, something like snowshoeing has a lot of similar elements to climbing on a, on a mountain bike as well, right? We get a steep climb, you know, similar joint angles and stuff. So, you know, why not go out and snowshoe? You can make an argument that it's almost as specific, right? Or at least has a benefit. So,
0: mixing you know, that up a little Yeah, more. you know,
1: because the, just because you're pedaling doesn't mean that it's necessarily the, the best you know, or the only way you should train if you're not able to do the very specific sport.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And then the last thing I'll say about this is the other reason you could be getting them more is uh, if you're actually riding outside more, uh, like if you're fat biking or whatever, you might be wearing so many layers that you're actually getting more chafing issues. Um, so just making sure everything fits really well. I'm a huge fan of like a good pair of insulated warm actual cycling tights that have the chamois built in that are full leg. Uh, Vellachia makes a really, really good brand, or really good version of them that have windproof panels that I love. They're like fleece lined but are super cozy. Uh, For ladies, I know Gore has a bunch of
1: well, and I guess ones for men. the other concept would be, you know, if you're layering, so you have a set of shorts and then a set of tights, you might have to actually lower your saddle height, right? Because yeah. that's certainly the bike setup, you know, people are getting new bikes around Christmas or, you know, in the fall blowout season or, you know, just when the new models are released, they got a cyclocross bike, they're now riding indoors or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there certainly could be something in that saddle, you know, change out your saddle, try a different one, put your old one back on um, change, tweak your position, right? You know, a lot of times it's only a millimeter or two. So I always say tape your, you know, seat post, you know, a millimeter or two higher than it is and just drop it and see, is that better? If not, then raise it back up, you know, a millimeter or two. Is that better? Yes, no. Um, you know, often you'll know, and it's, it just often takes that little bit difference. Yeah.
0: That's a great point about the layering Because if you're wearing shorts, tights, and then even like a winter, like pair of like rainproof pants or something over those, you've added, two or so millimeters to your saddle height easily mm-hmm. and if you're prone to saddle sores that could be a big change.
1: And I think the other thing I like to do related to that is that I always like shutter a little bit, you know, especially for folks including myself, you know, it's only an hour or, you know, a couple of times a week, a few times a week. So I would like to see that we're adaptable enough, you know, not all of us have this quote unquote fit window that's that adaptable, but to me, you know, if you can't, you know, the tests I like to do are things like a full lunge where you're really deep in that lunge. So your belly's basically on the thigh at the front and the other legs back behind you. You know, really getting into that extreme cycling position. If you can think about when you're in, you know, the drops, you're bent over your handlebars, you have one thigh right at your belly and the other leg's straight down behind you. A lot of people struggle with that position. Um, So working on that and then working on, you know, something else that would be similar is sort of like a child's pose where you're sitting on your heels and then you fold down on top of your thighs. Does that make sense? So so you're sort of kneeling on both knees Mm -hmm. and then you sit your butt down onto your heels and then you fold forward onto your thing. Most people cannot put their chest onto their thighs with their butt on their heels, Mm -hmm. right? Like fold yourself right in, you know, you're just accordioned right down into a small little I don't know what you are, accordion. Um, So that position is a very extreme example of like where you are in the cycling position, right? And again, most cyclists are stuck at 90 degrees. Most people are stuck. We know we were only sitting chairs. So, you know, just spending some time a bit on that mobility, go to yoga class, again, cross training, you know, your off days, your undulating intensity and volume uh, to try and get on top of that. And I I would think that you'll start seeing yourself being more adaptable, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you're really pushing volume and at some point the tissue has to adapt.
0: Yeah. All right. Good. Good stuff there. Next one. I actually really like this question because you know, in the new like new year's resolution time and everything, we always talk about like setting goals and blah, blah, blah. But what do you, how do you motivate? What do you do if you don't necessarily have a race goal? If you just don't have that point B.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. Because
0: um, I mean, I imagine you get some clients that you sure. want to get in shape or want to be better cyclists, but don't necessarily have that like, where we're going to thing.
1: I think it's very common with the age group population, right? Yeah. Like, ultimately, there's no, you know, rarely is there a world champion. You know, we have masters world champions, we have some very driven masters who are going for nationals or whatever, they have a very specific race. But there's a lot of folks that are just you know they want to participate maybe in one or two races or you know do some group rides, beat their friends, you know lose weight, uh, but really that point B like where we're going to is a little a little vague, right? Especially from the performance standpoint. Everyone wants to lose five or ten pounds, but the the performance goal is is tough, right? So. I usually take it a few different ways. You know, I try and, you know, usually they know they just want to, are you know, races they hadn't heard about. So sometimes I'll just try and expose them to some races, you know, that maybe they hadn't thought about um, or, or in a discipline that sort of sidestep. You know, we took this Ironman challenge last year and sort of scared ourselves a bit. I wanted to learn to swim. So there was sort of a, a personal, you know, I guess call it failing forward sort of thing. If I could learn to swim out of this whole Ironman thing, irrelevant of how the Ironman went, I have the ability to swim now and now we can go surf or whatever. Um, so thinking about stuff like that, like what's something scary that maybe some friends are doing, you know, it'll be a good fun adventure. You're going to go train a bunch and it'll be a fun adventure to do. And, you know, however the race goes is fine. But then at the end of that, you know, you're going to be fit enough that maybe you want to do something in the fall that that fitness will sort of carry you towards. Um, so that's one way to do it.
0: I think it's also just okay to say that you don't care about racing. And I think yeah. this was something I kind of, when we got off the phone with John after the running longevity episode we did, I was sort of a little,
1: not, yeah. not perturbed. Yeah, because his was but, very much for like competing at running. Which yeah, how to the way
0: race for your whole life and how to be excited about racing and running. And I was like, you know, honestly, I think I actually just prefer running. Like I have no real desire to like go out and smash 5Ks. I actually just really enjoy Running.
1: Well, and I have a bunch of clients now who are very much more in that adventure, right? And so it's conditioning to do
0: like find a cool adventure. We have like we have a couple of big
1: lakes, obviously, in Ontario, and so there's people who want to ride around this big lake or you know do this big you know cycling tour that's just them and a few friends doing like a big tour, but they want to be really fit for it. Or and or they want to like really just get fit on the bike, right? Mm -hmm. And that and then they can go smash a group ride or enter a cyclocross race or, mm-hmm. you know, again, do a big ride and be comfortable.
0: So I think for, in that case, maybe the better thing as far as goal setting goes isn't to set a goal that's, I want to do this particular thing. It might be that I want to get to this particular number in power or, you know, weight or whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, and figuring I mean, out some metric that's going to be the goal.
1: And it's sort of the, you know, stepping back to our earlier question about the volume and why you would do volume like the volume essentially is like it's it's almost like building the engine you know your work capacity and then the intensity that we do it's sort of like tuning the engine is the way i like to think about it so if you want to do an ironman you're going to do you know pretty moderate intensity the race specific intensity is pretty moderate right Mm -hmm. Um, and you're just tuning the engine towards that if you're going to do you know a a two minute track race or something you know a, a mile if you're going to be a mile runner that's sort of what you're tuning the engine for. So in this general example we have here now, you know, you're just sort of t- building the work capacity and, you know, you're tuning it and sort of, you know, what you enjoy or, or whatever. But, you know, if you decide in a month, as long as the engine's there, you know, you can sort of tune for the race that's coming. You can prepare those specific things that you need to know or do or have the uh, specific intensity for. Right? Mm-hmm. Um so that, that's the other approach is to just, you know, condition someone, right? And essentially, you know, you know, a lot of personal training type clients, right, are being conditioned for health and fitness and that sort of stuff, right?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So I think, I mean, takeaways from that would be, A, just think about getting fit, you know, because then once something strikes you, you're ready to go. Um, and then I think just consider sort of what friends are doing and maybe even just sidestepping into something that's going to make you learn a different skill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So if you've always raced on the road or you run on the road, maybe try some trail stuff, right? And just go dabble in something that you're new at, right? You don't know expectation, but you have to learn some new stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, How can I work on my mountain bike skills when I can't ride the trails? And I mean, this is not just a winter issue, right? This is a rainy season issue. This is a the trails are really far from my house issue. I mean, I don't know that many people that can ride out their door and hit trails. So mountain biking, you know, presents a challenge like that.
1: I mean, I think it relates to a lot of sports, right? Like rock Mm -hmm. climbing would have stuff like this. Um, Oh, sure. Strength training, you know, you can't always get to the gym running. You can't always be on perfect trails or perfect roads or perfect track. You know, so a lot of people, you can't always be in your specific sport discipline, right? So that's why cross-training exists. Um, but specific to skills, um, for cycling, you know, we talked about on the trainer. So, I mean, I'm big on getting people to get on and off the trainer. So we're practicing, you know, a slow motion sort of cyclocross mount, dismount, perhaps. Um, practicing clipping in. I was
0: going to say, I'm a lazy fan of uh, the clip in, clip out for like five minutes.
1: For, what do you mean for five minutes? Like
0: I would just do it every 30 seconds for five minutes. Be oh, spinning clip in, clip out. out. Yeah, yeah, no. And
1: I mean, that's why like I really like one leg pedaling because it makes you clip in and clip out. And then also it's sort of like an, a core challenge in some ways where you have to like brace against two arms and a leg,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a dynamically moving leg. So it's almost like doing a plank. And then a lot of times people will struggle with that other leg where it goes because you have to almost hold it out, almost like doing a side plank where you lift your leg. Yeah. So a lot of people struggle, like they want to put a chair beside them or like rest it on the trainer or something um but i again that's sort of like a, a weird drill where you're getting this like you're interacting with your bike in a different way but like if you've ever done a tripod or an outrigger on a bicycle you know you're cornering and you have to put a foot out a lot of people aren't comfortable doing that right that's why you see falls with outstretched arm people stay on their pedals and just put their arm out and fall over whereas if you can put an outrigger out and interact with your bicycle with three limbs attached right so it's almost a bicycle skill you're practicing while riding this trainer Um, so that's one very specific to the trainer, riding rollers. So rollers are, I always liken them to here in Canada, we have, the beer store has these rollers, like a conveyor belt of rollers.
0: This is a very Canadian specific example. Well, you guys
1: need to find something with some sort like in a factory, if you can think like literally like rollers.
0: Oh, like, uh, if you're at the airport and you're pushing your, uh, thing through security, like if you're pushing your computer bag and all of that. Oh yeah. Perfect.
1: Yeah. So those, there's like little roller, roller pins that like roll your bag along. Right. So rollers are sort of like that for cycling. So you're, you have to balance on top of this thing. So it's pretty precarious. It's sort of scary to get going, but the reality I always say is you're going zero kilometers an hour. So as long as you don't fall with outstretched arm and have practiced your one leg from the previous example, you're good to go. Uh, so that's another one. You just you have to practice balance. Again, if you can start interacting some one leg, one arm, no hands, you know, there's all sorts of things you can practice with and you get pretty good balance and just like interaction with your bike from that. So that's again very nerdy sort of specific bike skills. Now on top of that if you have any room in your house or basement or whatever, you can have a, your mountain bike beside you to probably riding a road bike. You could practice track stands. You could do flat changes. I've had a few clients get flats here. We've gotten a little into our season of cycle or indoor cycling, so they've worn through tires or you just periodically get flats from heat or whatever. So just embrace that. Like you have to fix that flat like you would on the road. Um, and mechanical is another one. So a lot of people have a garage or a basement. So just do some tuning, do something you've never done for your bike, you know, change brake pads, whatever, uh, mechanical skills, a valid bike skill.
0: That's actually true. If you think about the flat change, especially like if you can get decent at a flat change, you could be saving yourself like 10 minutes. In you a could race. be, you
1: could train all year to go do something like a Leadville 100 or a big stage race and you could flat and DNF because you couldn't change a flat. Even in five minutes, five minute flat change is very slow, but it would be fine in the course of a 12 hour race. Like it really doesn't matter. But yeah, literally people have spent months, thousands of dollars and no flat change. They go home. Oh,
0: that hurts. Not
1: because of their fitness, not because of their bicycle skill, quote unquote, but because of a flat change. Yeah. So yeah, that preparedness. So then more specific to Bike so they have places like Joyride 150 here near Toronto in Markham, Ontario. Uh, so that's just a big indoor bike park open to all types of bikes, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll actually be there coaching a women's, women's weekend. Women's weekend
1: is next weekend, February 4, so the no, 10, 10, 10, 11.
0: Yeah, 10, 11.
1: And yeah, so something like that is an obvious choice. Sometimes we'll have indoor uh, like BMX parks. You can maybe sometimes rent bikes and stuff too. So that might be more common than like a giant bike park. Bike parks are more common though now.
0: Yeah, dry ride even has a cross-country loop inside of it. Yeah, that's what I mean. A lot of people will
1: go and you can ride your mountain bike all around too. Um, similar, you know, we've seen people, we're part of the Ryan Leach uh, Connection, which is like an online bike skills sort of courses. So they teach you how to wheelie in 30 days, that sort of thing. Uh, Ryan's been on the podcast now a couple times if you look back.
0: Most of the wheelie challenge you could do in a big basement if you had to, Uh, but you could also definitely do it. You could certainly do elements
1: of the wheelie challenge. You'd have to have a decent basement and decent control of your balance and bike skills and stuff, but there's slow speed skills and balance skills, baseline balance. So it's essentially track stand, ratcheting, that sort of stuff. So if you have any room, like if you have, you don't need a lot of room for a lot of those ratcheting slow speed skills. So certainly that's very easy example that you could do. A lot of people use underground parking lots. I have no guarantees about your safety for that, but a lot of people do that um, for a variety of types of skills. And what else are we thinking? And then my other thought was just like, no matter where you are, like we're pretty Northern here and we just had a week where it got up to above freezing. The roads dried out eventually. Um, You know, if you were so predisposed, we have a local skate park, you could have shoveled that and then a day it would have been dry for sure. The kids will even, the skateboarders will often bring towels and they'll like, Oh, wow. Try and get it dry quicker. Um, but even just the road's drying Now, all of a sudden, you can do things like wheelies and track stands and skids and all these different things. Practice your cornering and have pylons and stuff. So there's usually a chance. And then we haven't even talked about fat biking, um, just not. winter biking. I used to always, I'd put on flat pedals. The key is a lot of this stuff is to run flat pedals in the winter. So then you know, you're practicing skills on your bike with flat pedals, but you also have the safety. You can do your outrigger, get your foot out, not fall with an outstretched arm. Um, But then work on drifting around corners. And we used to always, as kids, we'd run into snowbanks and practice falling, like flipping over the handlebars into the snowbank, right? Um, So those are a lot of examples on how you could do that.
0: There you go. No excuse.
1: Yeah. I like that. Oh, pedal stroke, too, if you're just riding your bike around, too, is a great pedal stroke in snow and ice and stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. And then the last one I want to kind of touch on is question about what to do when you hate salad and I mean this question is I love this question and I think it kind of applies to like any of the healthy eating stuff right like oh you know drink more water well my dad for example actually really dislikes water and I know he's not the only one out there that doesn't like water um really likes beer he doesn't listen to this so I can say that (laughs) um and you know plenty of people don't really enjoy eating salads i know i enjoy it but not for every meal like i definitely get tired of it pretty quick Uh, and people seem to think that that's the only healthy meal in some ways
1: well i mean a lot of our neither of us like I'm better now, but neither of us really ever digested, and I think no one does really, but like a lot of like roughage, a lot of raw greens, it's just, it's tough on your gut a lot of times. And a lot of people who are eating healthy organic and stuff, you know, they actually struggle, you know, they're battling these GI things and then they're shoving a ton of raw greenery in, and it actually is quite hard to digest that, especially on its own if you're not like throwing down a lot of sweet potato with it, a lot of rice, you know. Yeah. Um, Some of these more easy fibers, typically, I guess that would be soluble fiber. If I'm not, I always get those mixed up. But I think you're not putting a bunch of soluble fiber down with your insoluble fiber. Um, It gets tough, and if you're not eating meat or something on top of that. So first, I would say if you're not into salad, is there an underlying like, yeah, it makes me my digestion not great? So there might be some things like mixing your meals a bit more. So you could put something like some rice in with your salad. You could Mm -hmm. put some sweet potato in. You could put some meat. Like when we do big salads, it's usually with like. You know, a good vinaigrette we've made with some olive oil, you know, some tomatoes in there, you know, maybe some sweet potato with that, you know, some chicken in with that, some seeds, nuts and seeds. So it's a it's a it's a meal in itself, but it's not just, you know, really scratchy greens.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And I think the oil definitely helps sort of break them down a little bit. Like even kale if you massage it by hand a little yeah, bit. They do first. That. I think they do
1: it with like a, a lemon or some sort of acid and yeah. you massage it, right? That was a Jeremy Powers got was, that. Was yeah. It? yeah.
0: Really helped. It was like a game changer.
1: Still trying for us. to get him on the podcast. This will mm. be number three.
0: <laughs> Third shout out. Um Anyway, but
1: I was going to say, I guess my other point just to that was that a lot of our greenery, we actually just cook in. So in the morning we cook like almost a full bag of spinach or a frozen spinach, a lot of frozen spinach in with our eggs and sweet potatoes. We just do it in a pan covered. We get our core routine in while that's cooking, come back. It's all pretty much ready. Um, And so that's a ton of greenery and it's, there's still nutrients in it. Don't believe the hype.
0: You wouldn't even notice though that you're really eating. No,
1: it's like it boils down to nothing, but now you've got, you know. This big whack of greenery, you're good. It's basically like
0: an omelet. It's really fancy.
1: Yeah. So So, is there did you have other thoughts about salad or how to make it nice?
0: I did. Well the first thing is actually mixing it really well. So the biggest thing that I changed with our salads this year, I think, to make them taste better and like eat better, is I'll actually mix them now in a giant bowl. So, you know, put the arugula, spinach, kale, whatever your greens are, and then, you know, your tertiary vegetables, the tomatoes, peppers, all of that fun stuff, cucumbers, etc. your protein, chicken, whatever that looks like. And then your vinaigrette. And, you know, I sometimes toss in a little bit of like feta cheese or something, throw in the sweet potatoes to give it a little bit more carb. Uh, and then I put a lid on it and like shake the crap out of it. And I think that's made a massive difference. And as far as like palatability of it goes, because you're not, trying to get the one piece that has all the dressing on it right Uh, i find that's like the biggest pain in the pain with salads is just you know you get the one piece that had the dressing but now you're eating a bunch of greens that have nothing on it the mixture isn't right i'm also the weirder that does that with like chipotle i'll leave the top on and shake it really hard to try to mix everything up because i hate getting the one bite that's all guacamole and then a bite that's all rice right so I think that's the thing people miss.
1: Other thing is arugula. I've turned a few people into Ooh, arugula. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so it's like, it's I can eat arugula on its own. Like it's so peppery and, and delicious. A
0: little bit of salt and a little bit of just something liquidy. So even just sliced up tomatoes with arugula and a little bit of sea salt.
1: It's actually very high in nitrate. So if you're like keep like geeked out on the whole like beetroot juice, that type of stuff. Mm. Um, arugula is actually quite high. It's also called rocket if you're in like the UK. Yeah. Um,
0: so that's a favorite, but
1: arugula is quite tasty. So, you know, if you've been only doing kale, a, that's typically quite hard to digest. Yeah. Um, so try mixing, you know, spinach with arugula or just arugula or arugula with some kale and you know, you get a nice, nice taste out of that.
0: And if you are just sticking to romaine lettuce, please add in some other greens. I mean, a little bit of romaine is totally fine.
1: Yeah. It bulks it out for sure.
0: Yeah. But add some other stuff in there. Um, the other thing is You know when people say salad they mainly just mean that you want to be eating a lot of veggies So what we do instead of a salad is pretty much put everything that I just listed. So spinach, tomatoes, peppers, carrots, etc Into the crock pot with either like a chicken broth or a beef broth like I've been making our own bone broth lately or even just chicken bouillon or uh, vegetable bouillon and just make a giant vegetable stew And I find in the winter that's really nice when you come back from a ride or a run and you're freezing and you got this nice bowl of veggie stew. Uh, It digests a lot easier. Uh, I just think it's a really good option instead of doing a salad in a lot of ways. And, I mean, crockpot's super easy. Like, this takes me, what, five minutes to get started? Yeah, and
1: do it when you're making breakfast or something. Yeah, and then
0: boom, dinner's, dinner's ready, lunch is ready. You've got meals for, like, four or five nights. It's awesome. The other thing we do a ton is... Uh, spaghetti where it's, you know, primarily tomatoes and spinach in the sauce. And we use, you know, fresh tomatoes, fresh spinach. Uh, and then instead of spaghetti, use spaghetti squash. Or my mom actually just got me turned on to zucchini noodles. She used a spiralizer on them, which I think is still a useless piece of kitchen equipment. But
1: No, I love the. I call it, I think, a noodleizer, don't I?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's a really doofy piece of equipment, but it actually is. It was delicious. I, I was actually convinced that she had like done half regular noodles and half uh, zucchini on my plate. Yeah, if
1: you do a good job, I find you have to saute them a bit. But yeah, it's a, a really cool thing. And I mean you can do like similar noodle type thing with a lot of vegetables. You know, even if you're handy with a peeler or something, yeah. you can take the zucchini and just sort of like take your time and uh almost like you peel it but keep peeling it and then you get like essentially some sticks, right?
0: Yeah. I was shocked. I honestly thought she had put a bunch of like White pasta spaghetti into my mm-hmm. thing She's like, no, it's all zucchini, and I looked and I was like, holy crap, it is. Yeah. So that's a really good one.
1: Okay, and then to finish off water, I think you just have to drink it like medicine when you wake up. That's have true. A, have a big glass. um The only other thing is, you know, adding some lemon lime often makes it a little tastier. That's a A lot does. of people now have the. I, I hesitate to tell anyone to get more devices, but the spritz or what are those things called?
0: The Soda Stream.
1: I yeah I guess that's a brand name but the the soda thing so you basically like put a bunch of carbonation into just your normal tap water um, so now you have a bit of bubbles we well,
0: had one and we actually really liked it but then it's they stopped making that brand so yeah, it we wasn't couldn't the aforementioned
1: the, brand so we, it was not
0: yeah so we couldn't get the uh, carbon dioxide thing refilled right
1: alright so anything else uh, I think we're getting towards our hour here. I think we're
0: getting towards our hour I think that's about it uh, just a quick reminder uh, if you are interested in kind of Uh, Doing a bit of a kickstart to a healthier lifestyle if you sort of need some of that push towards better sleep, better eating, uh, better mobility and flexibility during the course of the day, all of that fun stuff. We have a free seven-day healthy kickstart that comes to your email inbox every morning. Uh, So it's a great way to kind of kick off getting to a healthier starting place so you're ready for your spring training to really kick in. Uh, you can find that at any of our sites. So consummateathlete.com. Uh, it's over at the Outdoor Edit. Do you have it on smartathlete.ca?
1: Yeah, I think it's there somewhere.
0: Perfect. So check out any one of our sites. As always, uh, if you could rate and review this podcast, you can now do it in the iTunes app. So that's pretty exciting. So as soon as we're done here, just you know, go in, hit it. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you want to hear more of. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, That's all for today. Stay tuned for some awesome episodes coming up soon. Thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ.
1: Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance.
0: To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash CAPOD. That's C-A-P-O-D for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram.
1: And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful.
1: And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors.
0: All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.